Welcome to another episode of You Thought You Were an Environmentalist, an environmental justice podcast. In this episode, we'll be looking at climate change and women of color. We're your hosts, Gabby Rose and Monea Holland and Mina Hassani. In this episode, we're going to explore the question, how does climate change disproportionately affect the health of women of color? Our podcast will be divided into three sections. I'll be covering the first section where I'm going to discuss the existing relationship that women of color have to health and the healthcare system in the United States. This will lay the groundwork for how these existing disparities affect women of color's health more drastically than other groups. I will then explore the existing health issues that put women of color at risk by discussing natural disasters, impoverished communities, and physical well-being. I'll finish by going further into the disadvantages that communities of color are subject to, show how they intersect with women's issues, and explain how these combine with climate change and environmental hazards to create conditions where women of color are the most vulnerable and their health is at risk. Before I start my discussion, I want to acknowledge my identities in relation to the topic. As a white woman, I have never and will never experience or understand what it means to go through the world as a woman of color, which includes health and navigating the medical system. I have a lot of privilege in my identity and my position, and I'm trying my best to use it to bring light to the experiences of women whose perspectives and experiences have, made, have been made invisible in the popular conversation around health and climate change. I'm going to begin this section with a story about a woman named Shalyn Irving. At just 36, Shallon had been a, a lieutenant commander in the Commission Corps of the U.S. Public Health Service and an epidemiologist at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, on top of holding a bachelor's degree, two master's degrees, and a Ph.D. She was an expectant black single mother, and she had an expansive and strong support system, as well as high-quality health insurance. Despite all of this, three weeks after the birth of her daughter, Salel, she collapsed and died. Her story is both tragic and telling of the realities of being a black mother in American society. In the U.S., black women are 22% more likely to die of heart disease than white women, 71% more likely to die of cervical cancer, and 243% more likely to die from pregnancy or childbirth-related causes. Shallon Irving's story highlights an important part of this equation. It all comes down to race. Lack of access to secure housing, food, or quality of education all exacerbate negative health outcomes. But no matter how these factors affect each individual, black women in the U.S. are at a higher risk for fatal birth complications. Race is the single factor in this equation. Systematic and daily experiences of racial profiling and oppression place a stress so heavy on black women that it literally kills them. In this discussion, it is important to highlight the intersection of identities for black women, because the experience of being black and a woman in the U.S. exponentiate the hardships and emotional and physical toll of one another, which is why there is such a stark difference in the experience of white mothers. In our current political climate, anti-abortion movements and lawmakers, as well as lack of abortion clinics and safe spaces, already pose a threat to the health of mothers in the U.S. This is especially pronounced in the South, where there are as little as one or two abortion clinics in an entire state. Not only are black mothers more likely to die, if they lack access to safe abortion clinics, hospitals, and prenatal care, that risk is even greater. In addition to the high risk of birth complications for black women, 
They are at a higher risk for fatality in the face of many other health conditions prevalent in the U.S. This includes breast cancer, cerebrovascular diseases, which are most commonly strokes, and diabetes, where the fatality rate for black women is more than double that of white women. With this established, it is clear to see how the effects of climate change, even if they applied equally to everyone, which they don't and they won't, will likely have more dramatic effects on women of color, specifically black women, because they already face such a huge disadvantage in terms of health outcomes. If women of color are already facing a higher instance and fatality rate of these health conditions, a lack of support from and comfortability with the healthcare system will only exponentiate the barriers they face in the wake of the effects of climate change. The other side of this discussion comes from the existing relationship between women of color and the U.S. healthcare system. This appears in many forms, from insurance to relationships with physicians. Women of color have abysmal rates of health insurance in comparison to their white counterparts. According to the National Partnership for Women and Families, in 2017, the percentage of uninsured white women was 8%. However, Asian women were 9%, Pacific Islander and black women were both 13%, and Latinx women were 19% uninsured. Native American women were astounding 21% uninsured. Clearly, health insurance is significantly more accessible for white women than women of color, though it varies by ethnicity. A lack of access to health insurance is even further discouraging in a system that includes women of color financially and socially. Structural inequality and racism are apparent in other aspects of women of color's relationship with the healthcare system as well, particularly around birth and pregnancy. A study from the American Journal of Preventative Medicine examining the relationship between colorism and how women of color access prenatal care exposes an aspect of the presence of racism in healthcare. They had women self-report daily experiences of microaggressions and colorism, along with how much and when they utilized prenatal care, and the results showed that women who reported more daily experiences of racism were more likely to delay or avoid prenatal care. These experiences of racism are understandably likely to decrease engagement of women of color, particularly black women, in the healthcare system and with maternal health programs. This has major implications tied to both the lack of insurance through the cost of those programs and the resulting birth mortality and infant health rates. If women of color cannot afford to seek health care and are further discouraged by feeling unsafe and uncomfortable in a healthcare setting, they are at an extreme disadvantage in terms of receiving care and support for their health, both in terms of day-to-day and pregnancy. A different study from the Journal of Social Science and Medicine explored the relationship between providers and women of color, specifically through how providers utilize power in the relationship. They conducted interviews with 22 women of color above age 18 who had just had children about their experiences with providers and in the medical care system, then analyzed the information from those interviews. The results show that the women experience providers withholding or packaging information in order to control and exert power over them and exclude them from decision-making around their own bodies. Keeping in mind that less than 15% of primary care physicians in the U.S. are Black, Latinx, or Native American, it makes sense that women of color feel uncomfortable and powerless in the relationship between them and their most likely white provider. Much of this is discussed in a piece about racial bias in healthcare from O Magazine, where a black woman examines her own experiences as well as common experiences for many black women when accessing medical care. She highlights her experience of being dismissed and having her pain minimized by white nurses and doctors, which is reportedly a common occurrence for many black women. 
She also points out that she heard much of the same things from other black women, but when reading Facebook posts from other survivors of her condition that were mostly white, all had nothing but positive things to say about the treatment they received from their nurses and doctors. Studies looking at interactions between black patients and their non-black providers show them having shorter interactions and patients feeling uncomfortable and lacking confidence in their doctors. And it isn't just a feeling. Research has shown troubling amounts of stereotypical, incorrect, and eugenics-related beliefs about biological differences between black and white people held by medical students and physicians. These problematic structures of the healthcare system further discourage women of color from accessing care, which will be exaggerated when human health is further threatened by climate change and supportive medical care is crucial. Another point the author makes is around location and how modern segregation perpetuates health inequality. Not only are communities of color less likely to have access to quality medical care and primary care physicians, 67% more likely to be specific, they face the brunt of pollution created and dumped by the American people. Communities of color are often considered dumping grounds for po toxic pollution. For example, a study by the Commission of, for Racial Justice called Toxic Waste and Race found that 60% of black folks live in communities with one or more abandoned toxic waste sites. Another finding from the U.S. General Accounting Office showed that three out of four commercial hazardous waste landfills in the EPA Region 4 were located in predominantly black communities, regardless of the fact that they made up only one-fifth of the population of that region. Climate change and pollution are already taking a heavier toll on communities of color, which means that women of color are likely facing the consequences of harmful toxins in their neighborhood on top of lacking healthcare resources. In the book Wings of Gauze, which is all about how women of color experience health, illness, and the healthcare system, a major issue they highlighted was how women of color who are victims of domestic violence that do seek out medical help from the healthcare system are rarely identified as victims of violence. This is a crucial aspect of intervention for these women because they are more likely to utilize the healthcare system in this case than the authorities. So it is the responsibility of the provider to give resources and support specifically addressing the abuse. If the providers know, which they often do, of the abuse and still ignore it, they are not only putting her at a risk of continued abuse, but building a sense of shame around the violence since they will not acknowledge it. This sense of mistrust in providers and vice versa in victims creates a toxic relationship between victims of domestic violence, specifically women of color, and the medical care system. This absence of acknowledgement is further damaging in a system that already excludes women of color due to their race and exacerbates the already strained relationship between physicians and women of color. The lack of a sense of safety in receiving care and support from hospitals and clinics will likely dissuade women of color from accessing these resources when their health and safety are being threatened by the effects of climate change. This isn't the only issue with the interactions between domestic violence and the healthcare system for women of color. Forced drug use is oftentimes a major part of patterns of domestic abuse for women of color, but there is a significant lack of treatment opportunities and programs to support them, especially poor women of color with children, even though they are the most vulnerable. This also increases the risk of HIV for these women, since many report that accessing safe sex or clean needles is much harder when being controlled by abusive and violent partners. These are major health and safety risks that aren't being properly addressed by the healthcare system, further damaging the medical resources available to women of color. Women of color who are victims of violence are presented with major obstacles and a lack of support in getting treatment and safety from their abuse, which puts them at an even greater risk in the face of climate change. Natural disasters and the challenges that, and barriers that women of color face when approaching the healthcare system and receiving care are colored by racial and institutional oppression in multiple ways and exacerbate the health issues that women of color already face at a disproportionate rate. 
To bring this all together, the healthcare system is extremely restrictive and systematically excludes women of color. Whether that be due to financial accessibility, such as lack of health insurance, to negative experiences women of color have with medical providers, to discouragement of utilizing resources due to anxiety around colorism and microaggressions, women of color are systematically kept away from healthcare resources. However, the existing discrimination and strained relationship that women of color have with the healthcare system is important in looking how climate change will affect women of color in particular. This is because climate change will likely exacerbate the health discrepancies for women of color, which will compound negatively with their lack of access to insurance and health care. In order to address these risks and disparities in the face of climate change, the healthcare system, including physicians and administrators, needs to overhaul the way it addresses inequity and properly acknowledge the role that race plays in medical care. There needs to be a transformation and restructuring of who occupies positions of power within the medical system, as well as who has access to healthcare resources. This means expanding opportunities for marginalized people to become doctors, administrators, and occupy other leadership roles so that their voices are properly represented and allow their communities to be better served. In addition, healthcare organizations and clinics need to collaborate with community and local organizations that are led by women of color in order to best move forward in conducting research and policy that will allow women of color and other marginalized folks to reap the benefits of the healthcare that they deserve. Women of color already have health issues associated with their residence and socioeconomic background. But before we discuss specific geographic locations and instances, it's important to know what vulnerability means in the context of climate change. In this case, holistically looking at the backgrounds and surroundings of specific women in the context of climate change. It's not just one factor per se, it's looking at the structural bondage that holds these communities apart from others. It's looking at women of color in response to the surroundings that negatively harm them. And so to begin, we can narrow down our findings to underdeveloped communities in the United States. When women of color are backed into these low economic conditions, they are more likely to feel the sting of climate change. Talking about climate change in these conditions references the vulnerability in the face of natural disaster for these women of color living in these communities, because these women lack necessary resources, funding, and stable housing. These women are forced to resort to the whims of climate change. In these events, pregnant women of color are necessary to be mentioned as well. Their exposure to environmental infections and strains are heightened in the case of a large weather-related event. Doing so puts these women at risk for infectious diseases. But we can move on to older adults, and so in this case, these older women are also worth mentioning as older women of color are also put at risk, and they should be in the conversation of climate change. When faced with high temperature and air pollutions, older women of color face susceptibility to harm. Climate change also places the stress on birth weight in newborns and risk of stillbirth for women of color. Children born in extreme weather can be at risk for defects, rashes, and asthma. Coupled with geographic area and economic status, these conditions can only make it worse for the mother at stake. 
And I think that it's important to find these connections between the generations and note that environmental racism and injustice isn't a new thing for these women. It's the history of communities of color being targeted from disasters and waste. It's a continual process of mother to child and child to their offspring that features generations of injustice. So speaking of these health risks, we can move on to the specific actual health impacts of environmental pollution in minority areas. African-American women specifically are usually grouped into clusters that are negatively affected by urban waste. Increased cancer rates and reproductive defects are usual symptoms of living near these waste scenes. A study by the U.S. General Accounting Office found that African-Americans were in the majority of the communities that were found to be living near dangerous landfills. In fact, out of the four Southeast landfill sites that the study researched, three of these landfills found African-Americans in the majority. Yet in all four of these communities, most of the people living under the poverty line were African-Americans. So when we can holistically look back and just look at the study, it's important to note that the severity of conditions in African-American women, and these include living near these sites, we have the factors stated above, pregnancy, age, and economic burden. These factors only exacerbate the systemic issues that are rooted in the tales of environmental justice. And just... Even the United Church of Christ Commission for Racial Justice conducted a national study to determine the significance of ethnic clusters and hazardous waste sites. Um, this church was one of the first activist groups who began to recognize environmental racism. Churches like so wrote reports and educational writings to educate populations on what was actually happening. And so they ended up citing race as the most considerable thing to be looked at when discussing the location of hazardous waste facilities. So minorities in the in these positions are already facing health issues at a disproportionate rate to their white counterparts, and their living conditions only make it worse. And as our research question is posed, we have to note the existing health issues that minority women face, because advocacy for women's health in the United States has made progress within the years. We acknowledge that. Yet they have fallen short in their awareness for different groups of women. We know that African-American women are thinly placed on the life expectancy scale in comparison to white women. White women actually have a higher life expectancy from this group by five years. Heart disease and diabetes also pose a higher risk for mortality in African-American women as opposed to white women. And also just for breast cancer, black women are more likely to die from this cancer relative to white women, even though the chances of acquiring breast cancer is the same. So I think as a woman of color, just for me, it's very difficult to find this advocacy solely for minority women. It's difficult to just find these studies, these relationships, and just to talk about this as a sole thing for minority women. And I think with the rise of climate change, it's important to focus on these discrepancies. And it's obviously disheartening to see these numbers, but it's even more disheartening to see little awareness about this. When we talk about climate change, it tends to be brought up in a manner that seemingly affects everyone the same. It's seemingly one planet, one globe, one earth. It's seemingly just one country, one state. It's just the entire population. Yet, we know this is not the case for women of color who are low-income, pregnant, elderly. This is something that I shouldn't have to find out later after the damage is already irreversible. It should be highlighted before it's too late. And so even when I was researching these local health statistics, there was just little stratification with race, gender, and class, and this must be addressed. Certain institutional differences also put African-American women at risk. 
One particular study highlighted this risk by exploring different factors that played a role in physical activity. The study found that African-American women had specific cultural issues that led to this result. One obstacle existed because of hard labor and rigorous schedules with family. Other African-Americans mentioned taking care of children as an important task. And reading the study was particularly interesting as the theme of family continues to hold, as it's not just one person to consider in these studies, it's the whole of their family as well. Environment was also a key term in this study because extreme weather and safety going outside were important notes for African-American women expressing their disinterest in exercise. Privilege definitely plays a role here, as we can see, as someone's location in a rural position can hinder their activity. And so with climate change pushing for intense weather, these women will have difficulty in these spheres. Some women even mentioned their lack of gyms or recreation buildings near them. And when talking about physical activity, it's not always a thing that certain groups tend to consider. So rural location in the study was just an important element. Air pollution and severe weather reports can lower the health of African-American women in these areas. And if this group is already placed at risk, we have to acknowledge the added stressors of climate change. We have to acknowledge the disadvantages that certain people are experiencing over others. There's a lengthy process for minority women going through the healthcare process. First, there's a language and cultural difference, especially for Latina women in the United States. There's the factor of having a large family and sacrificing oneself for the sake of economics. It's the mother being at the lowest health herself while giving her children a specific type of health care. Poor health after giving birth can also put minority women at risk of losing work. A lack of awareness of the healthcare system and understanding of insurance can act as a barrier for these women, especially Hispanic women. And so health insurance proves to also be a thing considerable of race and class. Puerto Rican and black women prove to be among the women who do not have health insurance. This also goes for low-income women as well, and they're also at risk for not being insured. This becomes a problem, because for low-income minority women who face barriers left and right, this is a reality. This, there is also the issue of media warnings for health risks that affect non-native English speakers. There appears to be a lack of understanding, especially for poor Hispanic women. They can lack the health education that other Americans are just commonly exposed to. Governmental warnings and overall written knowledge tends to be overlooked in consumerism for Hispanic women. Even I, myself, take the American standards for, for health for granted. And even as a Hispanic black woman, I was raised with education about health, and I did not have that language as that obstacle. And so with climate change increasing the chance of natural disasters and overall increased air pollution and toxic vulnerability, there's still that prominent health barrier for treatment even when adverse health effects are noted. And it's even difficult in getting medicine and bodily treatment for these minority women because African-American women, when relaying their symptoms, they often have trouble in receiving proper care. Usually their symptoms are cited as psychosomatic. And so when these problems accumulate and accumulate and just build up over time due to human activity, these factors are stacked so that it's difficult to leave that cycle of bad treatment and health, that cycle of just generational poverty and... This in turn just widens the gap between more privileged communities and women of color. While physical health proves to be important, mental health is sometimes overlooked for black women as well. So when studying depression, most studies use a white population and merely forget black women in the process. Married black women living in the rural South report high levels of depression associated with arduous, arduous child child management. Handling children combined with socioeconomic factors can be taxing on women in these difficult positions. Economic stress is also an important tool in recognizing depression that is firsthand. Coupling economic hardship with racism 
and environmental risk poses a difficult situation because vulnerable positions mentally can take a harsh toll on black women as more environmental concerns just trickle down with climate change. So we as a society should be prepared for these differences that put black women at an injury for health. We should note of these pre-existing conditions and expand our knowledge on mental health before it's too late. There's also a standard that black women are forced to inhabit by societal, by societal rules and stereotypes. Many black women have a role of feeling out an image of a strong caretaker who is resilient to adversity and discrimination. This is particularly strong when discussing issues in the black community. Growing up, I would see images of strong civil rights era women fighting alongside black men. And there's just that role that resilience and that strength that just puts these women apart and though this was empowering to witness growing up and though this really just was a clear example to me there were also assumptions I made so instead we as a society should look towards why these women had to be in these positions why they're the ones sticking up for police brutality why they're the ones sticking up for environmental racism and we should look to the role of black women in climate change and realize that their experience is enough their voice is enough the environmental struggles and oppression are enough. And so, as the fight continues for climate change, politics can play a large role for women's health care. Health centers that administer basic reproductive regard should be protected at all costs. In this political climate, it's vital that we advocate for these centers. In the case of emergency or serious disaster, these places should at least be priority for minority women that are already at reproductive risk. Coverage for healthcare and women after giving birth should also be prioritized, especially since African American women are at risk from dying from childbirth related instances. I think that states should extend health coverage after birth as well. Currently, we have some systems that end abruptly after 60 days, so extending coverage can literally save lives as these minority women can benefit greatly from this idea in place. Especially for women living in harsh areas, these reproductive considerations should be kept in mind. So as we wrap up this segment, it's vital to discuss the awareness of climate change and the implementations of assistance. Um, one analysis from the Journal of Environmental Psychology found that women are more likely to believe in global warming more than men. And so this in includes changing consumer practices and policies while supporting serious changes in society. And so that was... Uh, their measures in the study. And they did find that conservative white males are also more likely to believe that global warming does not exist. So in this case, women of color will most likely look for support among other women, but we as a whole should acknowledge our privilege in even believing in climate change. We should listen to these minority women who have direct experience from climate change, and we should wonder why conservative white males don't believe. And we should look at their experiences in comparison to minority women. And so as a society, we should question the conservative white male opinion in global warming. We should question parts of their comfortability and adaptability. And while doing so, we can listen to minority women and provide solutions to this generational problem. A 
remember a conversation I had with my aunt a few years ago when Serena Williams had near-fatal birth complications. It started a national conversation about black women and their healthcare experiences, highlighting the fact that it's not even a class thing. Many black women, regardless of who they are, simply are not listened to by doctors and sometimes lose their lives for it, as Gabby told us earlier with black women being more than twice as likely to die from pregnancy or birth-related issues. My aunt is a strong Persian woman who came to this country and felt the struggle of not only being a woman, but an immigrant with dark features as well, and has been a champion of women's rights since. But when we had this conversation, she was just not aware of the greater implications of Serena's case, chalking it up to her athletic body. The assumption was, then, that it was a combination of genetic and physical causes, having nothing to do with black women's relationship with health care. Even my aunt, who struggled so much with the conditions that women of color face in this country, wasn't aware of this relationship. That's why this conversation is so important to have, so every person can recognize that some groups face issues differently than we do. As a Persian woman, identity is something I've always struggled with. My dad being from Iran and my mom being a blonde-haired, blue-eyed blend of different white backgrounds, that leaves me with dark, semi-curly hair, brown eyes, and a light enough to be white but dark enough to be ambiguous complexion. So, while I may feel not white, I wouldn't call myself a woman of color. But in this country, few know the differences between ethnicities and cultures, and any dark features or foreign accents are treated the same. I was called slurs that are usually targeted towards Latinos by fellow students who don't even realize I'm not Hispanic. A guy I thought was a friend said Iranian people are gross. My lunches were never the same as my classmates. I always felt different from the white people at my school. But what's important is seeing how my identity fits in speaking with this kind of topic. Being from the middle class and an affluent community, I have never struggled in many of the ways that women of color do. So while I feel solidarity in some ways, I want to make it clear that my voice is merely supplemental. I don't speak on behalf of women of color, but rather want to use the privilege I have to propel their voices and concerns. Seeing how women of color already face disproportionate health risks compared to other demographics, this puts them at a disadvantage when we look at growing environmental concern. What's really important in looking at these concerns is the intersection of race and poverty as well. Raquel Pinder-Hughes examines these intersecting identities, showing the different populations that are most affected by pollution and environmental hazards. As Mo explained, black people make up the majority of these communities, and this is due to the intersection of race and poverty. What Pinder-Hughes points out is that they're the most vulnerable because of their lack of political power, as well as institutionalized racism. She includes a report from Sorrell Associates where they describe how affluent communities are likely to push back against hazardous industries and thus advise the Waste Management Board of California to target low socioeconomic areas for these projects as they're less likely to see opposition. Due to the intersection of race and poverty, we can see how these groups are not only rendered powerless due to shortages of time and resources for activism, but are specifically targeted for the harmful practices because of it. This shows us the value that our society places on these marginalized groups. Firms like Sorrell Associates can blatantly subject people of color to these conditions and attribute it to their lack of power, hence recognizing that they're placing a burden on these communities who can't fight back, even if they do recognize the harm that's being done to them. And on top of this, a community that doesn't have the resources for political activism certainly doesn't have those necessary to address the health concerns that will result from these injustices.
Because of this, we see a cycle where groups that are already disadvantaged continuously face challenges that ensure they stay down. Assuming that every group faces environmental risks similarly is dangerous then, as it fails to recognize how important it is that we identify the groups that will be most affected and why. Hence, why we're focused on women of color. And this isn't a new phenomenon. This was written in 1996. With the rising concern of climate change, and not seeing any change in these intersectional issues since as long as we've known about them, it's disappointing to say the least. A website we can use to see even more concrete details of these factors is the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA's, EJ screen. This environmental justice tool allows users to select locations in the U.S. and see how the environmental risks in the area compare to the region, the state, or the rest of the country. Factors you can explore include respiratory health, cancer risks, and hazardous waste proximity, as well as demographic indicators so we can see who is experiencing every risk. This tool allows you to set different radiuses around the point you select, so you can compare these factors. This can be especially helpful for communities seeking information about the risks in their area. I'd urge you to look up your own community to see what risks you face. For example, we can look at the Northwest Detention Center and see that not only this point, but a significant radius surrounding it, has concerning environmental hazards. Yet, as we increase the radius, and the surrounding community becomes more white and has more money, these risks decrease. Patterns like these can be seen all over the United States, showing us symptoms of a system designed to disadvantage people of color. What's so important about this tool is not only that a curious user can find data, but how it makes these numbers accessible to the public. Communities that want to come together to advocate for their health can easily utilize this tool to see the specific problems they face, and this is so important in times like these when climate advocacy is at the forefront of politics. Having an accessible tool like this is just one step to helping these disproportionately affected communities find footing and become more politically active. Unfortunately, there's one place where advocacy has been strong, yet we've seen no change. For the last five plus years, people of color in Flint, Michigan, have been suffering because of the mismanagement of the water supply. The Journal of Nutrition, Education, and Behavior studied black women in Flint specifically, assessing how they perceive access to food and water. What we see from this study is that they perceived significant barriers in access to transportation, quality groceries, and potable water as opposed to other more affluent and white communities. These women talk about the stores in their areas, which are low income and predominantly black, getting the last pick of produce, leaving them with inedible options or expired options offered at half price. They have to pay inflated bills for water they can't even drink. Through these stories, we see the burden placed on women to not only navigate these disasters, but to find and provide adequate resources for their families as well. This is a significant factor in the identities that intersect to make these problems harder. Women, as the deemed caretakers of society, have these added pressures that make environmental battles even more difficult. Another one of the areas where we see the intersection of women's issues and the conditions people of color face is in asthma risks. Studies have shown that women have an increased risk of developing adult-onset asthma because of biological, sociocultural, and environmental differences. 
This risk, combined with the hazardous exposures that continue to affect minorities disproportionately, puts women of color in an extremely vulnerable position for developing asthma and respiratory-related health issues. These kinds of risks have ripple effects and can end up getting in the way of work, education, exercise, socializing, and so many other aspects of life. And seeing as we already have how difficult the relationship between women of color and healthcare is, it will continue to be a prevalent issue. And respiratory problems aren't the only ones burdening women of color. What you might not expect is how domestic violence and climate change can go hand in hand. Following the hurricanes in Puerto Rico in 2017, there was a rise in gender-based violence, with at least 23 women being murdered by their partners. And those are just the ones who died. Women suffered in vast numbers, not even able to be estimated correctly because of low rates of reporting and poor systems for collecting this kind of data. This kind of injustice has so many roots, such as misogyny, limited health and safety resources, and poverty. All of these roots are struggles that women of color face differently than any other demographic. And clearly, this abuse will only contribute to the suffering that these women who survive face, as those in abusive relationships often have trouble accessing the health care they need. While our question focuses on women of color in the United States, it's important to look at global trends and ask what we can take from them. Seeing what struggles women endure in countries already facing significant climate effects can show us what we can expect for our most vulnerable populations. Women of color, being the most disadvantaged when it comes to health in the United States, can look at these patterns and anticipate that they might face similar issues as the U.S. becomes a country more and more impacted by climate effects. And this is relevant because women of color's health is not just an issue in the United States. All over the world, women suffer from climate impacts because of many areas of vulnerability coming together. Because of the global trend for women to have limited access to work, food, and education, as well as the burden of taking care of their families, they face significant disadvantage just under normal circumstances. Once they're faced with disasters, we see an increase in domestic violence and sexual assault, as well as vulnerability to sex trafficking, while it becomes harder to access reproductive and prenatal care. On top of this, women still have familial responsibilities and must provide in a time where resources are limited. However, these effects won't only be felt by women of color. As the mothers and the generally deemed caretakers of society, issues that these women face will become prevalent among all people of color. Looking back on the study of women in Flint, it's important to recognize why these women were the focus. Not only are they the most vulnerable members of society, but they're the ones that bear the majority of familial responsibilities, such as grocery shopping and cooking. Hence, when we look at health issues through the lens of how they are affecting women of color, we also have to recognize the ripple effects that will extend to greater populations. If women of color have trouble accessing healthy foods and potable water, this means their community will suffer. This can begin from birth as well. While we've touched on birth effects in previous sections, it's important to look at it in the context of intersectionality and its effect on the entire community, as well as its generational effects. Studies show us that education, income, environmental exposures, and psychosocial stressors are all key factors that correlate with preterm birth, low birth weight, and infant mortality. All of these factors are those that black and low-income communities are especially vulnerable to. And genetics aren't to blame, as all black women aren't facing these complications. 
black immigrants give birth to babies with health much more comparable to whites. This suggests that not only is being black in America an indicator for these social and economic factors, but that these disadvantages faced over the course of multiple generations are contributing to health issues from the beginning of life. This adds layers to the injustices we're seeing, as not only are women of color facing health issues themselves, but all the factors in their lives that contribute to their oppression will affect their children's health for generations. What we can see from all of this is a system designed against women of color. Every intersection of their identity, from gender to race to class, faces some unique hardship, all coming together to create a perfect storm. Women's reproductive health and family responsibilities, minorities' fight against racism and lack of opportunities, and low-income communities' exposure to harsh environmental conditions. All of these struggles only become harder as we see more and more devastating effects of climate change. What we must understand is that acknowledging these issues only does so much. If you're frustrated or surprised by any of what you heard today, Try to educate yourself on these issues in order to create as large a voice as possible. Only then can we see a chance at justice for these women. Use this voice for good. Educate others, advocate for change, and vote for candidates who will not only help change this, but work to address the structures that created these disadvantages in the first place. Women of color deserve better. Throughout this episode, we hope you all have learned the relevance of the health of women of color in the face of climate change. As climate change makes its way to the forefront of media and social discussion, the perspectives and voices of marginalized folks must be amplified. While we have discussed historical structures and their implications, we ask the viewers to consider their stake in this conversation. This dialogue is an important one, and we hope you can go from today with a new understanding and interest in the realities of the health of others. Consider these women's health as your own and learn from their stories. Thank you for listening.